It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is TJ Friedel the team MVP in 2023? Well, Jeff told you he was, but I'm going to tell you why that honor might belong to someone else. We're also going to take a look back at our favorite moment live from GABP in 2023. We've got all that and more on today's Locked on Reds. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker. We are lifelong Cincinnati Reds fans, and we turned an addiction into information for you. want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to us talk some Reds with you. Locked On Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are your team every single day, all throughout the offseason, and we're free and available on all platforms. Uh, thanks for joining us here today on today's show. Why, Steve believes I'm wrong, <clears throat> even though I'm not, about TJ Friedel being the team MVP, we are also going to look at our favorite memories that include a guy that's on my t-shirt right now, if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not, Ellie De La Cruz is on my t-shirt. We're going to talk about some free agent targets and maybe a couple of guys, one guy who might be on the expensive side of things, but we'll explain why he might be worth going after. Yeah, that, that's all coming up on today's Locked On Reds podcast. Before we get into any of that, I wanted to let you know today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app today and create an account using the promo code Locked On MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And Steve, TJ Friedel is the MVP of the Cincinnati Reds for 2023. So why on earth are you confused? Well, you know, once again, this is where you had a decent idea and it came up just short, much like our last conversation about TJ Friedel. Look, I don't have any hate against TJ Friedel. He did a great job and established himself as an everyday center fielder for the Reds, uh, but that doesn't make him the most valuable player. Uh, for me, that honor is going to go to somebody else. And I know that you started with the war argument. When you looked at TJ Friedel and, you know, obviously because this guy leads the team in war, he was the most valuable player. But I want to poke a few holes in that because the war formula itself accounts for some of your defensive ability. And the player that I actually think is the team MVP took a hit because he was willing to do whatever the team asked him to do. He was willing to play wherever the team asked him to play. And in many cases, positions he had never played before in the professional level, he just ran out there one day and said, why not? I'll give it a try. And I think that hurt him a little bit in the war statistic, but you want to know where it didn't hurt him. I'm going to tell you where it didn't hurt him because he led the team in a couple of important uh, categories. The first one being home runs, 23 home runs. That's Spencer Steer. Spencer Steer as a rookie played first base. He played some third base. He played some second base and he played left field when it was a choice between him and you, Jeff. That's really what the Reds got down to in running a center, uh, running a left fielder out there during some ball games throughout the season. I think that when you look at 
what that did for the team, the flexibility that Spencer Steer provided and being able to get other guys on the field and other guys into the lineup while still having Spencer Steer in there and have him perform at a high level makes him the most valuable. It's not just home runs, Jeff. Uh, you can talk about OPS plus. He just edged out your guy in OPS plus. He was 1% better than TJ Friedel. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, Friedel was at 118. Uh, Spencer Steer was at 119. So that makes him better, right? That makes him the most valuable player. Uh, and this is, this is a good argument to have because there are uh, been seasons <laughs> last year where it didn't matter who you pointed as as the most valuable player because the team was a train wreck. And now they find themselves in a position where there's a lot of legitimate candidates. So for me, you know, that makes it fun. That means that it's an exciting, an exciting time to be a Reds fan and watch Reds baseball. But Spencer Steer, I think, performed in a way that none of us really anticipated. We thought he was going to be good. We thought he was going to be useful. We thought he was going to be versatile. And and he even told us as much when we had him on the show, Jeff, that he just he doesn't care where he likes moving around. He just wants to be on the field and he wants to be in the game. Uh, but TJ Friedel is, you know, a good outfielder, but that's all that he brings. And 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 He's good, but he can't help you out in other areas where Spencer Steer helped you in a ton of areas uh, at a time where the Reds were struggling to field players in certain positions. Steve, do you know, and you might not know off the top of your head, but a ballpark number of the defensive war for Mr. Spencer Steer? I don't know it off the top of my head. Negative 17. Do you know? the defensive war for a couple of players that we routinely compare him to Ben Zobrist and Chris Bryant. Hit me with it. The worst of the two, Chris Bryant had a season of minus 12. Ben Zobrist never eclipsed minus seven. You can switch positions and still be good defensively. Spencer steer was not good defensively and Spencer steer was a liability out in the field. Now, hopefully him finding left field, maybe playing some other spots as needed next year will be a good thing. And like you, I love Spencer Steer, like you said with TJ Friedel. I'm not disparaging him. But in this argument, TJ Friedel was good at preventing runs. He was good at scoring runs. He was good at base running. He was good at those things. He was good at moving guys over, and he didn't strike out. Spencer Steer was good at bringing runs in. He was good at hitting the long ball. He was good at base running. He was horrible at preventing runs. And if there's a big a hole in that in your game like that, you can't be the MVP. You can be a very good player, but you can't be the MVP of the team. It's one thing if you're bad at defense and that's your one position, that's your one job, and you're bad at it and you're not getting better. He was asked to learn multiple positions in his rookie year, and one of so those he was positions bad all over the field. He never played. No, he was great when he played at his home position, Jeff, but he was asked to go out there and play left field when he never has played outfield. But listen, outfield is not easy. You might think you can stick anyone out there and they can just go catch a fly ball. If you have to know the angles, you have to know how to play the various ballparks and take into account their lighting. And if you're on outdoor stadium, the wind and all of these things that comes with experience, 
Spencer Steer had no experience. He had, you know, the extent of his training for left field was here. You might want to use this glove in the outfield instead. That was the training that he got from the Cincinnati Reds before they ran him out there to play Major League Baseball in the outfield. So I do not hold his defense against him at all. Now, if, if you want to do that to help elevate your status as president of the TJ Friedel fan club, that's fine. I'll accept that. But I, at the end of the day, we're talking about the most valuable player. That doesn't even mean the best player. That means who was the most valuable to the team? The most valuable to the team, position player-wise, was Spencer Steer because time and time again, he stepped up when nobody else either could or would to fill positions when guys got hurt, when guys were tired, when guys were unavailable. Spencer Steer did that. Nobody else did. So in clutch positions, right? Clutch positions. TJ Frieda led the team and win probability added. Caramba, Jeffrey. <laughs> no, I did look up something too, and I was I was curious about this because talking about you know Spencer Steer's defensive war and things like that made me wonder about a old friend of ours who no longer plays for the Reds, but was one of my favorite Reds ever, was one of your favorite Reds ever, Mister Adam Dunn. How does Spencer Steer compare defensively? Well, he's still much better than Adam Dunn was. Okay. Adam Dunn, <laughs> and thank <laughs> thankfully, thankfully this didn't happen as a Red. His first full year in Washington had a negative 44 defensive war. Hey, that's his number. <laughs> that's it, that blew my, I didn't, number, I didn't know they were wearing defensive war on their chest <laughs> in the games. That's pretty cool. It could count up to that. Yeah. Hopefully he's thinking the opposite, but yeah, he ended up counting down to that. But no, I think it's, it's very clear though. When you look at this argument, when you look at Spencer steer, which uh, you you are not the only one that has said that. There's plenty of people that have picked Spencer Steer as their MVP, which means that there's obviously a momentum behind that. But whether it's Steer, whether it's Friedel, or whether you make the sample size argument and it's Matt McClain, the key is the Reds had a lot of good performances last year, and that was good to see. Oh, yeah. You know, Jeff, having a lot of good players is a great problem to have. And yes. the decision on naming a team MVP is just going to get harder and harder and harder over the next several seasons as these guys just continue to get better and better and better. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. All right, Jeff, coming up, you and I are going to discuss our favorite moments that we witnessed in person down at Great American Ballpark in 2023. We've got that coming up. And to witness those moments at Great American Ballpark, you needed to be at Great American Ballpark. And one of the best ways to do that is with the Game Time app. Jeff and I both use this app all the time because we really don't know what we're doing five minutes from now, let alone planning uh, a long, long ahead of time trip to the ballpark. Jeff and I's routine was pretty simple. We'd go find parking. We'd go find tacos. And as we were paying our bill... We'd jump on the Game Time app, grab some tickets, and stroll into the stadium. It was just that easy. Uh, Game Time is a easy, safe, reliable app to use. There's great deals on there. You just go and download the Game Time app. You create an account, and you can use the promo code Locked On MLB to get twenty dollars off your first purchase. Now, listen, that's going to be twenty dollars off already. Greatly discounted tickets. Jeff and I found deal after deal after deal on this app. Terms do apply, but all you got to do is download the Game Time app and create that account and redeem the code Locked On MLB for twenty dollars off. Download the Game Time app today. They have last minute tickets at the lowest price guaranteed. Join Locked On Red Insider Jeff Carr 
who's over there on the other half of the screen on subtext where you can get breaking news inside scoops and exclusive content delivered directly to your phone. Plus you're going to have one-on-one conversations with Jeff via text. He's excited to be part of the locked on reds insiders on subtext. And you can join the other insiders on subtext by simply texting go reds to 513-597-0944. Or you can follow the link in the description of today's episode to join in with Jeff on the insider conversation. Thanks, as always, for making Locked on Reds your first listen every day. Every day is coming up on our next episode of Locked on Reds. We are going to break down what could have been uh, the Reds' biggest missed opportunity or opportunities, depending on how you look at it, in 2023. we got that coming up for you tomorrow. But today, we are talking about the best moments we witnessed down at Great American Ballpark in 2023. Uh, I had the good fortune of being back in town several times this last season and got to see some cool stuff. And for me, the coolest moment that I was in the ballpark for uh, was really an entire game versus a singular moment. And it was June 6th, 2023, the call up of Ellie De La Cruz. And Jeff, it's, it's great that you have that shirt on for this today. Uh, there was so much electricity in the stadium. There was so much hype surrounding this, you know, as you know, Jeff, I'll tell our listeners, um, I had left town already. Uh, I was heading to Springfield to visit some family and then flying home the following day uh, while making the drive. The Reds announced that Ellie was being called up, uh, whipped that U-turn, headed right back to Cincinnati so that we could be in the ballpark. And it was an electric game. The atmosphere was amazing. The fans were so engaged. And it was against the money spending powerhouse lineup that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it was a slugfest. And it ended in a walk-off with the Reds scoring three runs in the bottom of the ninth, walking it off on another rookie, Matt McClain, single. It was a beautiful night. I was down there, too. That was a great night to be at the ball game, And just the electric atmosphere that turned into Great American Ballpark, like... I don't think we give this enough credence. And 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 you and I, we don't we don't talk about attendance numbers that much. There's not I mean, I don't put as much credence behind it as some folks like to. But mm-hmm. for a moment, consider what Great American Ballpark turned into because of Ellie and because of Matt McLean. At one point in this season, they set the record for the lowest attendance in a single game at Great American Ballpark. And they still were the number one like attendance increase team in major league baseball. That's because of Ellie. That's because of Matt McClay, because those guys came up and absolutely showed out. And and the debut that he had, I mean, the the double that like, I mean, we knew it as soon as that ball hit off the bat and was into center field. We're like, he's not stopping at first. That ain't happening. And honestly, if you go back and you see that highlight, which depending on where you watch your games, if you watch your games on MLB.tv, you've probably seen this highlight plenty of times. He probably could have stretched it and tried to go to third. Now, he probably would have been thrown out had he done that, but it looked like he really wanted to. It looked like he was not even thinking about two, and that was an obvious single for most of Major League Baseball. That was just a fantastic debut for him, but like you said, it was kind of the... It was, it was the game itself. Everything kind of tied him into this neat little bow because it was like, yes, Ellie is here. But guess what? Matt McClain is still a very freaking big deal. And it, and you're right in that it was also you can look at that game as a starting point for really the new energy. I, I, yes. I'm hard pressed to find another example. I wasn't at Clinchmas, 
But another example of the kind of electricity that was in the ballpark that night at Great American Ballpark for that game and outside and in the banks, there was just so much energy leading up to that. And then for the Reds to walk it off, for them to beat this Dodgers team that they weren't supposed to beat, there, there, was, there was a lot of positives to come from right there and things moving forward. And I'm really happy you mentioned the attendance because that's also kind of the springboard moment there, the L.A. De La Cruz debut. Because as you say, the Reds did set a record in 2023 for the lowest attended game in ballpark history. But they also set a record for the highest attended game in 2023. I wonder if any other stadium, if that holds true for any other stadium in any other season in major league baseball, where the team set both the record for the lowest attended game and the highest attended game in the same season, because that more than anything else tells you what the difference was between the team in Cincinnati that took the field on opening day and the team that was along for this playoff push through June, July, and August. It's it's hard. I, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to find out that information for sure. But, like, yeah, like, looking at this, and, and, and the fact that they were so close together, like, the day and looking at, you know, looking back at the season that was, April 17th against the Rays, which was an 8-1 to win, was the lowest attended game ever, 7,375. In fact, it rivaled a game that the Reds had in Oakland a couple of weeks later, and Oakland was actively tanking, and everyone knew that they're getting ready to sell. And here are the Reds, like kind of in no man's land, but still getting like seven thousand people. Then you fast forward all the way, two and a half months, to when Atlanta comes to town, and it goes off, and attendance is over forty thousand, forty three thousand eighty six, and then the next day. 43,498 and then the next day 40,000 there were 120 what was that seven no yeah 127,000 people at those three games as opposed to the Rays series where I think you could about count attendance on one hand metaphorically of course not quite because thousands of people go to the ballpark but still yes the, the 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 way that everything flipped was so phenomenal and even the fact that those wins and like you said the unlikeliness uh, of the Reds beating the Dodgers at that time. The Reds were under 500. In fact, that win brought the Reds to five games under 500 at that point. The run that they would go on that sent them into the stratosphere, sent them into the playoff race, was still only just in its budding stages. We hadn't even thought about that yet. And Ellie sets the world on fire in that game. Let me tell you about mine because uh, we can talk a lot about that game for sure. My favorite memory of the season probably could have picked that Ellie game, but I also thought about this game and this game for me had a lot of different meanings to it because the return of Joseph Daniel Votto on June, what did I say that was 16th? Just closed it. I should have left that open, but he, his return against the Rockies and just the way that that game went down, because you're thinking, what are we going to get from Joey Votto? Everyone's talking about, is he going to be a liability? Is he going to come down and, and mess up the funk of this team? And you're just like, oh boy, what do we got here? July, uh, sorry, June, June 19th, June 19th was the day. And lo and behold, his very first game, he hits a go-ahead two-run home run that he predicted, that he told everybody before the game. He said, I'm going to go out and homer tonight. The, the, the just mystique of Joseph Daniel Votto was on full display that evening 
And there was so much fun because it was in the middle of, you know, the rally reds were just getting going. It was in the middle of the winning streak and everybody's saying, uh, is, 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 is the old man going to mess up the vibe of all these kids? And he's like, "Mm -mm." and the reason you're drinking Fresca right now is because of Joseph Daniel. (laughs) That's exactly right. I had never tried Fresca until those comments from Joey. And then I tried it. And now I have it all the time. Here's the thing with Joseph Daniel Votto and that home run, Jeff, I, it was almost like a, it was almost like a Will Smith at the Oscars kind of moment. You know, he gets in the batter's box and hits that home run. And I'm like, you get Joseph Daniel Votto's name out of your mouth. <laughs> all of the people that talk smack about Joey. And I know that, you know, that was a singular moment in a season where he finished with a 90 OPS plus and had times that he struggled, but there was times that he didn't struggle. And, and that moment for those of us, you and me, and and probably most of our listeners that have, have watched almost every single game of Joey Votto's career and seen almost every single at bat that Joey Votto has ever had, you know, that was, that was a moment that, we can kind of all take to heart and, you know, know that the end, it was probably near the end and probably you know, we're seeing that now that he's into free agency. But for that minute, that moment, that one game fresh off the, the injured list, Joey Votto was Joey Votto. And, yeah. and, and we, you know, we had one more moment in the sun with Joey at the ballpark. And that was, you know, phenomenal. And, it was, you know, it was a two-hit night. His first at-bat, it was a single. And just everything that happened in that game, I there were so many moments. And I, I thought about that during the season. I mean, we could have picked Andrew Abbott. We could have picked a lot of different things. Will Benson's walk-off and stuff like that. I was there for Andrew. I wasn't quite there for Will Benson's uh, walk-off home run that he hit. But so many different things that happened throughout the year that you were just like, man, this was quite a year to come down to the ballpark and – I, I was so happy to see it and just the way that the Reds revived. It was phenomenal. But I know this. There's more to be had with these memories because there's definitely more to be done. This Cincinnati Reds team has aspirations. It has expectations of postseason uh, jubilation. And they need to do some work this offseason to get there. We have a couple of ideas as to some players that they could go get. Before we talk about that, though, I want to tell you about FanDuel because October baseball is roaring on. We've got the all Texas final out of the way, at least game one in the championship series last night. And we're getting into the NLCS tonight. It is no better time to jump on FanDuel than right now, because you have this amazing baseball playoffs that you can check out all the different promo bets and prop bets that they have. And for that first bet that you place $5, it's going to get you $200 in bonus bets back guaranteed for our new customers. That is an amazing deal because then you take that 200 bonus dollars and you can visit FanDuel.com and you can check out the, you know, different money lines and over-unders and prop bets. And one of my favorite prop bets, I always tell you this, and I, I told you this, Steve, the one time that I took it, you can bet on the first pitch. And, and if you bet on it to be put in play, the odds on that are like phenomenal because most of the time it's either a cold strike or a ball or something like that. And so if you bet on it actually being put in play, that's kind of a fun prop bet to do. But you can also add in some great stuff like who you think is going to win the World Series because lo and behold, if that person, if that team is favored, 
you can bet that they're probably not going to win because the way this playoffs have been going, the favorites are the ones that are losing. So get in on the action over at FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on right now and take advantage of the intro offer of wagering $5, getting $200 back in bonus bets. Plus, they've got great playoff promos for baseball. They've got amazing football promos for college football and the NFL and things like that. Check them out today. FanDuel is the official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. You can follow us in between episodes. You can follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs. You can follow Steve at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. And you can join the Locked on Reds Discord page. A lot of great folks talking Reds baseball all throughout the offseason, talking about the playoffs, talking about uh, football, all the great stuff, gaming. There's a lot of great uh, channels to join on the discussion on the Locked on Reds Discord page. Got a link down in the description of today's episode. Please follow that. We welcome you to join. All right, Steve, there are some things on the shopping list for Nick Crawl this offseason. None more important than bolstering the pitching staff, however that is. Like, we can debate the merits of bullpen versus starting pitching and all that other stuff, but you need to go get some arms because it's just not going to work running it back, expecting everybody else to be healthy. They need some help, and there's some help that is coming on the free agent list. Now there's lots of different options. I've talked about a few under the radar guys. When you were out last week, if you haven't heard that, go check that out on uh, last week's episode. I talked about guys like Nick Martinez from the Padres who had an amazing ground ball rate and things like that. There is a guy who probably profiles as a little bit of a Holy grail, little bit of maybe too expensive, little bit of reds, probably priced out of him, but should the Reds get into a bidding war and go get Josh Hader? No. I mean, okay. That's not, not the question you ask. Should they make a run? Sure. Will they make a run? No. That's not going to happen. Listen, <laughs> Josh Hader is coming off a season in San Diego where he pitched in 61 games, put up a 1.28 ERA. Uh, he was just absolutely phenomenal out there. Uh, he is going to command high dollar, and that high dollar is probably going to come from the Padres. Maybe not, but yeah. that high dollar is going to be money that the Reds are not going to spend on pitching. Um, I like the idea, but at the end of the day, this team is going to take that same amount of money that would be allocated to Hater and get two or three arms for the same amount of money. Uh, I, I'm not, uh, what, what did we say his value is going to be as according so, to spot and, and this is something too, and I, I've explained it before on the pod, everydayers will know, but if you're new to this uh, segment, I talk about spot track value, spottrack.com. They monitor sports economics all across sports, whether it be football, baseball, basketball, all that great stuff. They do a thing during the offseason and during the free agency period where they will estimate based on performance, based on past contracts, what their con their next contract will be on an average annual value basis. According to Spot Track, Josh Hader's average annual value will be somewhere around $17 million per year. So that being said, if the Reds were just one arm in the bullpen away, from putting together a World Series run, like if they had just come up this short and needed one more stud arm, I would say, yeah, you take that $17 million, you throw it at Hater, and you go make a run for it. That's not the case. They need three, maybe four better arms in that bullpen to go along with Alexis Diaz and to go along with Lucas Sims. 
And to do that, I think you take that same $17 million, let's call it $18 million. And you go out and get three, $6 million relievers that would be decent. They're not going to be Josh Hader, but they're going to be decent and they're going to bolster this bullpen. And then you find yourself in a position to have a better 2024. I, I mean, I think, I think this is like Hader would be like the shiny toy that you have the press conference about. But at the end of the day, while he would make some difference, he wouldn't be the difference, if that makes sense. I really want the Reds to go do the three $6 million relievers because then we could call them the $6 million men, and then I think that would be a great nickname for the bullpen. Trademark it right um, now. Get on the yeah, website we to, right yeah, now. Get, get that, that trademark that, um, <laughs> that would be amazing. But, no, I'm with you. I, I, I almost do think that in this case, quantity is better than quality because the, the converse of quantity over quality, getting Josh Hader, say the Reds go and do that, Chances are the rest of the roster, including a needed right-handed outfield bat, probably comes from the waiver wire. And we've seen what that does. We've seen what happens with that. They just constantly churn those guys. And sure, you might hit one, but you're going to go through five or six duds before you hit one because there's a reason that they're out on waivers to begin with. So, yes, it would be a lot of fun, and it would be very MLB The Show-esque for the Reds to go get. Josh Hader. Now there are a couple of guys and I still think a good idea is for the Reds to maybe sign a starter. And by signing a starter, I don't mean going out and getting an ace. I know I did a thing about Sonny Gray. I said that was a Holy Grail type signing for a reason. I don't think the Reds will do that. There are two guys who I think they could kick the tires on. One of them, I don't think, and, and I wrote his name because I think it'd be interesting, but now I remember probably won't see him till halfway through the season, if at all. But one who really intrigues me is Frankie Montas. Frankie Montas, you remember, was an Oakland A. Traded to the Yankees the same trade deadline as the Reds traded Luis Castillo to the Mariners. Big difference in output between the two guys because ever since then, Frankie Montas has been hurt. And Frankie Montas really only pitched like 30-something innings as a Yankee. He did get one relief appearance in last year at the end of the season for the Yankees, but for the most part, dealt with a labrum uh, surgery that he had on his shoulder uh, that was back in February and basically missed all of the season. He is an unrestricted free agent. There's no options. There's no you know uh, arbitration or anything like that. And he was paid $8 million last year. I think that he could be on the list of guys that must sign a one-year deal to prove A, that he's healthy, and B, that he can still do it. I think that falls within the range of guys that the Reds could go after. Well, see, I actually like this one, and and I agree with him on this list. Uh, during his time in New York, Jeff, uh, 41 total innings pitched, uh, pitched in nine games, starting eight of them, ERA of 6.15. So that combined with the injury, you're right. He needs a prove-it deal somewhere. And I think this would be a good opportunity for Nick Crawl to, to get him signed. You know, he's going to command a little bit more money than you would like in a – giant question mark but at the same time i think the reds with their payroll being as low as it is could afford to take this risk this is the type of player where it's low risk high reward because we're just talking about a little bit of money here right and it's not my money so i don't care let's go out and get him and see how he does and if right. if he hits then nick crawl once again looks like a genius and if he doesn't hit, you know, Nick can stand in front of a microphone and say, well, you know, there was a lot of risk associated with this move. And we thought he had a tremendous amount of upside. And he just didn't quite pan out. And then they move on from it. So uh, I, I think it's a win-win scenario. 
for it's a win for the player and being able to get out there and prove it. And it's a win for Nick Crawl because if he does get out there and prove it, it makes the team better. Could he be a six million dollar man? We can rebuild him. We can make him better. Derek Johnson can rebuild him and make him better. Six million dollar man, Frankie Montes. Go to Reds the moment free agency starts. Go do this. This this would be a lot of fun. Plus, here's the thing. The whole 6.1 ERA in 41 innings in New York is uh, buffeted by a 3.7 ERA in 593 career innings with Oakland. He is a good pitcher. It's yeah, just it's better, had a, a bit of a better sample size. <laughs> yeah, better sample size, and he he is a good pitcher that's had a rough couple of th- couple of years. I would love to see the Reds give him a prove it deal. Speaking of prove it deals, and I wrote this guy's name down. Might be a really quick discussion. Tyler Malley reunion. No, Tommy no, John. No. He's he's probably not going to pitch till at least. No, no, no. And and I mean, even before the Tommy John, Jeff. I mean, you look at since the trade, since he left Cincinnati, he appeared in a whopping nine baseball games for the Minnesota Twins. I mean, <laughs> looking at that trade, good neck. <laughs> That's that may be at the end of it all when all of these players in yeah. baseball. It may be the best trade in Reds history. When you say just say look at war, if you take the combined war of all the players involved in this deal at the end of it, mm. I think this might end up being one of the best trades in Reds history. Um, I love that. In those nine games, uh, <laughs> he's pitched forty-two innings. He did have a three-point-six-four ERA. He did have some success when he was actually in a game. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. We all remember that he had problems pitching at Great American Ballpark a lot of the time. Much better road guy than he was a home pitcher. Uh, for me. Uh, a lot of reasons to say thanks, but no thanks in, in a potential reunion. What if, and this is a what if, cause it probably doesn't happen, but let's say bizarro world, major league minimum deal, time to rehab, whatever he gives you his gravy. Do you still do that? Or just you say, you know what? Well, let I, somebody else deal with that. It's, cause it's more than that. You let somebody else deal with it. And I mean, you're talking about roster spots. You're talking about 40 man spots. You're talking about, you know, a finite amount of dollars that I want to, you know, take a chance on some other guy with. So, you know, I, I we know what Tyler Malley is. And and yeah. while while he could be an innings eater, maybe if he's healthy, I hope we're not in a point where we need that. I, I, I hope that the Reds rotation is healthy and you don't need that kind of guy. Because if we're if we're just throwing spare parts in there from the scrap heap, then it's 2024 has been a major failure. So I, I just I don't think you go there. That's a good call. I, and I, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, uh, one thing, too, and, and I think tomorrow we're, I actually kind of want to expand on this. We had a note we were going to talk about someone and their spot track value, but I'm going to save that until tomorrow. I think tomorrow we're going to do a segment on looking at what spot track has valued for the Reds' upcoming free agents. And I think that might surprise you, especially this one player that we were about to say, but now I'm going to hold till tomorrow. <sighs> Tease. By the way, tomorrow, also big time episode about missed opportunities. And I think every one of you is commenting one of your favorite missed opportunities right now. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Lockdown Reds podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here today. If you're not an everydayer, we would like to ask you that you are because we're going to be with you every single day all throughout the offseason. We're going to bring you content, rumors, news, uh, trade ideas looking back on last season, looking ahead to next season, giving you predictions that'll be wrong. That's what we do here on the Lockdown Reds podcast. We bring well, that's you- what you do. That's not what I do. <laughs> I correct those too. things You're when you do too. them. I just correct you. That's all. Why is that, Steve? 
because we are locked on Reds every single day. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Off-season podcasting. You have got to love it. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.